Today we're going to learn about the priesthood as it is explained in the book of Exodus. So, let's pray. Jesus, I thank you so much for each and every person here and how you have moved it in their hearts uh, to, to desire you. Uh, Lord, you have pursued each and every one of us. We have, um, we're not the source of anything good. Lord, we've been corrupted since our birth, but you, Father, you have poured your love and you have given us grace. And Jesus, you've been merciful to us when we don't deserve it. So Lord, we want to bathe in your, your, your gracious acceptance and mercy today. We want to uh, remember your love and, and be... Um, you know, turn away from everything that we try to uh, get our, our satisfaction, our meaning, our, our um, uh, value outside of you. We want to turn away from all that. Lord, we want to be uh, filled with your spirit. And we ask that even though we're not worthy, we ask that you would still fill us with your spirit because of your love and your mercy and what Jesus has done to buy that for us. So we pray in Jesus' name that you would um, speak to us now through your word that you have provided so graciously and lovingly for us. In your name we pray, amen. After you get saved, what are you supposed to do? Nothing. <laughs> it's a good, good answer. There's a, there's the, I'm sure that, the, that makes you think of a lot of different things. When we, <clears throat> depending on how you grew up, you might have different ideas on what a Christian looks like. It, for you, it might look, as you were growing up, it might have looked like going to church, or it might have looked like being a good person, or it might have looked like um, something else. Uh, but once a person has been forgiven of their sin and begun a relationship with Jesus by faith, what are we supposed to do after that? I was watching a show the other day, and an eight-year-old was having this joint birthday party with his sister and his brother, uh, his triplets. And uh, the little boy was sitting next to a little girl watching a movie, sharing some popcorn, having just a splendid time. And the parents asked the little boy, uh, hey, maybe you should send the girl back to the girl's side of the party uh, so that she can like, have fun with your sister. And the little boy's like, no. And the parents are like, oh, why not? And he said, I love her. And I was like, oh, he loves her. Such a sweet story. And, and it seems like a very natural response. I, if I love someone, I want to be with them. I want to eat popcorn and watch The Princess Bride. And that's what being in love is like, being together. They could do anything as long as it's together. It's not a chore. It's not a job it's motivated by a heart filled with love. It's, it's walking together in love. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8, it says, You were once in darkness, but you are light in the Lord, so walk as children of the light. Walking. That's what it's supposed to be like after you become a Christian, after you believe. It's, and, and there's a big church word that we use called sanctification, that, that is, is an abiding life where we walk with Jesus and he changes us as we go. He doesn't change us all at once. He changes us as we go. And walking with Jesus is the life of a child of God. If you mistakenly were taught or thought that being a Christian means you have to try to measure up to God's standard, 
please be free today. And just realize it's about walking with God through all the ups and downs and learning his faithfulness so that you don't have to depend on yourself. There's really no other source of life or, or light or fruit or joy or whatever you want to call it. It's all supplied by Jesus through something called his spirit. So after, he gets saved, after we get saved, what are we supposed to do? Walk with Jesus, which is kind of like walking in his light, uh, or the church way to say it is being sanctified by Jesus. Have you ever seen one of those cameras that shows the bacteria on your hands? You know, it's like black light. You know, gross, right? Because none of our hands were clean. It's just gross. Well, it's not really true. Cameras can't do that. It's worth a Google. Um, anyways, it, that light showing our, our, the gross germs is kind of a cool picture of how sanctification uh, works if that light actually killed the bacteria on our hands. That would be a cool illustration of walking in the light or letting that light cleanse us. Um, so today, um, that was our introduction, and today we're going to learn about the priesthood. And the reason why we talked about sanctification at the beginning is because the priesthood is connected with sanctification. And you're like, priesthood, this sounds very like priests with robes and, and weird, you know, chanting and stuff like that. Try not to think of that way when you think of a priest, or when I say priesthood. Don't think of it like that. We're going to learn a different way to think about the priesthood. So the priests are, are, are there to help us, or back in the day with Israel, they were there to help people walk with God after they came to know God. So it's a walking with God thing. It's how to walk in his light. That's what priests were all about. So so the same God that made provision by grace to save people with the blood and the killing the animals, he also makes provision by grace so that his people can be gathered to him and walk with him every day because that's really what he loves. He wants to walk with us. Um, God desires to change his people so that they desire to keep walking with him instead of turning to other gods, which we call sin. Has anyone in here ever sinned after they came to know Jesus? <laughs> like this morning. <laughs> we do sin. We fail. That's what we call sin and failure, is when we choose, instead of turning to Jesus and walking with him, we turn to something else, and walk with that. We let our hearts grab onto it. And that is the root of sin. It might look on the outside like drinking or, or other kinds of immorality, anything that violates his laws, but on the inside, it's a heart that has chosen to link up with this thing instead of Jesus. So there, the need, there, there's a need for a priesthood because uh, after we got saved, we were left with two parts of our being that weren't saved yet, our mind and our emotions. In other words, when God saved you, when you believed in God, he changed your spirit. He took out that spirit of rebellion and put inside a spirit of obedience, but he left your brain and he left your emotions. So you still remember all the sin and everything that you always thought and everything you always felt, and those two things we, we combine into an umbrella we call the flesh. And that's not changed once you get saved. 
It doesn't, it doesn't just magically change. The priesthood was responsible for helping these people who were forgiven to begin to walk in a new way, not according to the way they used to think and the way they used to feel, but according to a new truth, a new reality, which was the Spirit, what, what God had for them. So as if we eventually someday go through the book of Leviticus, it talks so much about this priesthood, and that's what it's about, is how we can stay close walking with Jesus. And some parts, as we study this priesthood, some parts are going to be foreshadows of Jesus, and some parts are going to be contrasts of Jesus. And we have to be smart to understand which one is which. So sometimes it's going to be like, yeah, that's like Jesus. And other times it's going to be that's the opposite of what Jesus does. And God is saying, I'll teach you how to decipher between the two. Because really, when we talk about this priest, who's the high priest for you and me? Jesus. It's not hard, okay? And again, try not to think of priests in robes and Jesus walking around in big purple robes and a big strange hat. It's not like that. He is a servant who enables the people of God to walk with God. And we call that abiding with God, remaining with God. learning how to connect with God. And so now we get to our text, which is Exodus 27, verse 20. And it says, And you shall command the children of Israel that they bring pure oil of pressed olives for the light and cause the lamp to burn continually. In the tabernacle of meeting, outside the veil, which is before the testimony, Aaron and his sons shall tend it from evening until morning before the Lord, and it shall be a statute forever to the generations on behalf of the children of Israel. And then chapter 28, verse 1 and 2. Now take Aaron, your brother, and his sons with him from among the children of Israel, that he may minister to me as priest. Aaron and Aaron's sons, Nadab, Abihu, Eleazar, and Ithamar, and you shall make holy garments for Aaron, your brother, and for glory and for beauty. Moses is up on the top of the mountain right now, surrounded by fire and smoke, and he's up there for how long? Anyone know? Pop quiz. 40 days, right? He's on this mountain 40 days. God is giving him all these commands, helping him understand how to lead. Where is Aaron? He's chilling like a villain. (laughs) He is down taking all the people's gold and creating golden calves, abandoning the Lord and turning into a priest of blasphemy. At this very moment, that's what Aaron is doing. And God's like, oh, he sees it, he knows it, but yet he still chooses him to be this. Isn't that amazing? We'll get into a few reasons and some more depth of that later. So, We, in our studies, and we're going through what God's giving Moses, we're moving on from the describing the physical furniture of the ark to now we're looking at the function and activity in the ark. And so we meet a new group of people called priests. Aaron is called the great high priest, um, and his sons serve with him as the family of Aaron, and and they are, again, going to help people to walk with God. So what do these priests do? And... For us as believers in this age, what does Jesus do as our great high priest? So keep both questions. As we study Aaron, understand that it's really about Jesus. And I'm going to call this the burning question. What do they do? Um, 
It says here, let's read that text again. You shall command the children of Israel that they bring pure oil pressed of pressed olives for the light to cause the lamp to burn. See what I did there? Ooh, that was right. A burning question. See? Okay. Uh, to burn continually in the tabernacle of meeting outside the veil, which is before the testimony. And Aaron and his sons shall tend it uh, from evening until morning before the Lord, and it shall be a statute forever to all their generations on behalf of the children of Israel. So there's this burning lamp of oil, and the priests were, were to keep the light in constant supply so that the people could see what was up, right? So that there would be light for the people. The priest was uh, responsible to provide the oil to keep the burning fire, the fire burning uh, to provide these people light. Our, the, the light of our life um, is, is God's spirit in us. It, it's a picture of our life that we receive from God. Our new life when we uh, when, we re- when we believe in Jesus and then we start walking in him is like light. And so we're commanded, we read that verse, to walk in the light. And that means God's life in us. So I'm going I'm to read 2 Corinthians 4, 6, which is a good cross-reference for this. It says, For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So when we walk in the presence of Jesus, it says, God uses it to shine that light in our heart. And that's what it's like, having light or having it lit up or revealed. It's, it's a, a new source of life. And God's desire is to produce this light in us. So he provides these priests, he he ordains these priests to make sure that there's always a physical picture of the light that he wants to produce in the hearts of his people. God's desire is to produce this in his people's hearts. Do you sense that light in your heart? The life of God in your heart. It's, It's holy, it's healing, it's joyful, It's light. Jesus gives that light. How? Well, our picture, our our story here, says they were supposed to use oil. All right? Oil is always a type of what in the Bible? Say it loud for everyone to hear. Good. Three Jesus points. Good job. The Holy Spirit, always in the Bible, oil is a picture of the Holy Spirit. So the priest here was responsible to always supply the oil for the people to have light and and the life that they needed. Now, this is a foreshadow of Jesus who would provide that Holy Spirit for us as well, but it's also a contrast, okay? Because the here in our story the priest had to work and they had to he had to squish the olives and then the oil would pour out and it was a lot of work to keep this oil in constant supply. So turn with me to the book of Zechariah, and I want you to see this amazing transition that God is going to make between the old way of doing it with these priests and these, this oil and burning lamp and the new way, which you and I get to live in, called the new covenant of God's grace, which is truly amazing. And as we study these... Um, these priests, you're going to be just blown away at God's goodness for you today. So in Zechariah chapter 4, we have this amazing 
crazy, mind-boggling, acid trip of a vision that, that it is. It's, it's crazy. I mean, as Zechariah, we studied the whole book a few years ago. The whole book is filled with these crazy visions that God gives him. He was, just a, he was like the hippie of the, of the prophets, uh, always just like, what is God doing? Well, this is a, one of his, this is his one most wonderful vision. Because it's, it's foreshadowing what Jesus would do. Look at, uh, we'll start in verse 2. Well, he was awakened out of a dream. And then, he, and then he says to me, what do you see? So I said, I'm looking and, and there's a lampstand of solid gold with a bowl on top of it. And on the stand, seven lamps with seven pipes to the seven lamps. And two olive trees are by it, one at the right of the bowl and the other at the left of the bowl. Okay, now, when we're studying in Exodus, the, the oil that they're putting in the lamp, the lamp is the, is the golden menorah that's in the temple, the, the tabernacle, okay? Fast, fast forward to this vision, they have a temple built, which is just a bigger version of the tabernacle, okay? And, and Zechariah was a priest, Okay, He's, he knew about that lampstand. He knew about menorahs. He knew about lamps, and he knew about the amount of work it took to produce the light. It was a chore. It was a job, and it was his job to maintain these things. He was a priest, so he knew it took hours and hours and hours of work. And I'm just curious, does that, is that what you feel like being a Christian is like? It takes hours, and it takes time, it takes effort. If you are, stay tuned. If that, if that is really how we feel, stay tuned, because God has a wonderful freedom here. Um, but this vision that God gives Zechariah is strangely very different than what he understands about squishing the olives and getting the oil and doing all the work. Uh, this menorah had a bowl on top of it, like a big bowl. And then there was two giant olive trees that had somehow tubes that connected right to the bowl, which supplied the oil to the lamps. And so Zechariah looks at this, and he's like, this is an iOS upgrade. This is a, a wonderful technological advancement where I no longer have to do any work of squishing the oils. We have tapped right into the olive trees and the oil is flowing directly into this bowl and it goes right. So basically he's thinking no more chores, no more work. This is amazing. It would be like if you were driving your car down the street, but instead of a gas tank, you had a dinosaur on your hood slowly decaying and the oil, the gas, going right into your engine, and you never had to stop to get gas because the dinosaur just kept decaying, and it was a big dinosaur. Uh, there's a lot of logical questions that I'm not going to answer. You can come up with all of the answers to that. It's just an illustration. <laughs> anyway, all right. Um, so, okay, cool vision, but you're on... You're crazy, Zechariah. What does this mean to me? What does this mean to us? So look in verse 4. So I answered and spoke to the angel who talked with me and saying, What are these, my Lord? Then the angel who talked to me said, You don't know what these things are? And I said, No, I don't. Okay? So Zechariah is fine saying, I don't get it, and God is fine with explaining it. Now he tells us what it is in verse 6. So he answered and said to me, This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Not by might 
nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Who are you, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you shall become a plain, and he shall bring forth the capstone with shouts of grace, grace to it. One of the most amazing prophecies and statements in the whole word of God. Let's break it down. 16 years earlier, Joshua and Zerubbabel had led 42,000 Israelites back from captivity. They'd been in Israel for a 1,000 years. Then they got punished by God for disowning him and leaving him. And, and for 70 years, they were cast out of the land, living in Babylon. But the 70 years punishment was over, so they were brought back by God. So they began rebuilding the temple, a place to worship God and, and have a relationship with God. And they laid the foundation, but then... They started bickering amongst themselves and their enemies started intimidating them. So they stopped building the temple and started building their own houses. And 16 years goes by and nothing happens. They're just, they're, they're just existing. They're in the promised land, but they have no real connection with God. Now Haggai and Zechariah are calling the people back to their priorities and they're saying, why wasn't the house of God built? We need this temple we need, we can translate with what we know, we need Jesus. We can't just do this on our own. Just saying you're a part of God's family doesn't mean anything unless you have a real connection with Jesus. Now, why wasn't this house being built? Well, in Isaiah 42.6, it says, I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness, and I will hold your hand, I will keep you, and give you as a covenant to the people, as a light to the Gentiles. The Jewish people were supposed to be a light to the Gentiles, but they weren't because they didn't even have their own light happening. Oh, I want to I wanna feed the poor and you know, make a difference in Denver. Great. Go to church. Fill your mind with the word of God. Walk with Jesus or you're not going to be able to do it. I don't care how many nonprofits you start and I don't care what you do. If you're not walking with him in his light, you can't do anything. They were supposed to be a light to the world, but they couldn't do it uh, because they, instead of turning outward and being a light to the world, they turned inward like in a holy huddle. And they were like, let's just focus on our own stuff. Jesus came along and he said, you're the light of the world, church. In Revelation, we have seven golden lampstands and, and they're the light of the world there too. And um, so God says, I'm going to finish my temple. And there were obstacles. There were enemies. There was supply that needed to be uh, met. There was all kinds of obstacles. And, and sometimes the obstacles that stand before you seem like mountains, don't they? But what's he say here? Oh, it's rubbable. If there's a mountain, it's going to turn into a plain. That's what I supply, God says. I can take care of of the problems that you see in front of you by, not by might, nor by power, but by the Spirit. How is all this supposed to be done? Be done. Look again at verse 6. He says, not by might, nor by power, but by my Spirit. Might uh, focuses on collective strength or the resources of a group saying, we can do it. Power focuses on individual strength. Those, those two words are different. So it doesn't matter what your resources are collectively or individually, or your abilities. It's not by your 
resources. It's not by your abilities. It's not by your desire. It's not by uh, some authority that someone has given you. He says, but it's by my spirit that you're going to become a light to the world. Just like the oil that was going into the lamps without human hands in this vision. It's by my spirit, he says. Listen, when the Lord lays something on your heart and you get all excited about it, sometimes we lay our own foundation. We get all excited. Then some difficulties come to pass. We see them. They start to look like mountains and we get discouraged believing that that thing will never happen that God has put in your heart. And and when that happens, what we have to do is remember this vision that it's not by might, it's not by power. We got to quit trying and start flowing. The, the oil would flow from these olive trees into the bowl to produce the light. That was, we got to quit trying and start flowing in the Holy Spirit. Oil is a type of the Holy Spirit because there's no friction with oil. Oil is a lubricant. Oil it has fragrance. Oil is fuel to burn. Oil is a healing balm. There's so many reasons why oil is a picture of the Holy Spirit. Why would we want to do it any other way when there is the Holy Spirit that we can trust in and walk in? When I get out of the way, I realize that it's not about what I do or what I don't do. It's about His Spirit doing something through me and in me, not by Isn't that great? It's like a dinosaur decaying on your car. It's awesome. So Spurgeon quote, Spurgeon quote. Here's a Spurgeon quote for you guys on this topic. It says, The necessary resource for God's work is the Holy Spirit, and God promises Zerubbabel a rich resource in the Spirit of God to accomplish his work. When we trust in our own resources, whether they be small or great in the eyes of men, then we won't enjoy the full supply of the Spirit. Oh, may God send us poverty. May God send us lack of means and take away our power of speech if it must be and help us to only stammer if we may only thus get the blessing. Oh, I ray, or excuse me. Oh, I want to be useful to souls, and all the rest may go where it will. Spurgeon was awesome. So, back to our text in Exodus, okay? Chapter twenty-eight. Now take Aaron, your brother, his sons with him from among the children of Israel that he may minister to me as priest. Aaron and his sons, Nadab, Abihu, Eleazar, Ithamar. And you shall make holy garments for Aaron, your brother, for glory and for beauty. Aaron's sons. This is remarkable, okay? Um, Each of these sons is like the descendants of, of Aaron, so they're, they're the people that, that Aaron produces. So in our picture, in our type, these would be believers, you and me. The Bible says you and me are priests as well. We're not the great high priest like Jesus, but every single one is called the priesthood of believers. All of you guys are priests, which means you represent God to people and you can represent people to God. You can intercede for them. You can pray for them. And, 
And this is really a big deal. All the sons are included in this priesthood. Now, each of these sons' names are going to point... Who do you think they're going to point to? Jesus. That's the church answer, right? Whenever there's a question I ask, the answer is probably Jesus. So, Anyway. They, they each have their own personality. They each have their own gifts. They each have their own uniqueness. But each of their names points back to Jesus, the great high priest. Let's, let's look at it. The name Nadab means willing. The name Abihu means my father is he. The name Eleazar means help of God or grace of God. And Ithamar means land of the palm tree. And you're like, how does that? Well, we'll get to that in just a second. Their identity, although unique, was simply to reflect back on on an attribute of Jesus. And I think God wants to use each and every one of you guys as his priest, to serve him in this world, to represent God to people. Every one of you have unique gifts that nobody else in the history of human, of of all the church has been given. You are unique. But only when we are fully surrendered to giving all the glory to Jesus. There are things only you can do because of the way you grew up and the blessings and giftings God has given you that God wants to use you. So, the name Willing, the first son, uh, was uh, Nadab. And, and this points to Jesus because Jesus was perfectly submitted and willing to do his father's will, right? My father is he. That points to Jesus because Jesus showed the perfect father-son relationship. He honored his father. He represented his father. So, my father is he is a great name to for Jesus and, and for uh, pointing to him. Help of God is the next one um, that was Eliezer. Help of God. And, and help is just another word for grace, God's help for us. And, and Jesus was the grace God offers to all men. His life and his death and now his very spirit are all help from God for you. So uh, serving God is to be grace-focused. And that's, that's why we, one of his servants is just called the grace of God. Now, the last one is called land of the palm. And, and this refers to palm trees being fruitful, fruitfulness. And I got a verse to, to kind of prove that. Psalm 92, 12, the righteous shall flourish like a palm tree. He shall grow like a cedar in Lebanon. Those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God, and they shall bear fruit, still bear fruit in old age, and they shall be refreshed and flourishing. So each of these names, although unique, point back to a a part of Jesus' character. Jesus produces fruit in our lives. We don't have to decide, I'm the most fruitful, I'm going to be the most fruitful Christian no, Jesus produces that, and then it reflects glory back to him. Now look at in our text, it says, Aaron, your brother, and his sons with him, that he may minister to me as priest. So he mentions Aaron and his sons, but then he says, he is going to minister before me as priest. 
Why would he mention his sons, but then say, he, Aaron only, is the great high priest? The sons of Aaron are, are called to share in his calling, in his ministry, uh, but he, Aaron, is the one who's responsible ultimately to do the work. That's why. We are all priests and sons of Aaron, you could say, sons of Jesus. And the, we share in the ministry of Jesus, but he is the one who's doing the work. And that's a really important thing for us to remember. I'm going to read four verses to you that are all just, I'm going to read them without comment, maybe, just so we get, we see that this is certainly the truth. 1 Corinthians 15.10, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace towards me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God, which was with me. So who's doing the work? God, Jesus, right. John 14.10, Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but my Father who dwells in me does the works. Jesus showing us how to live a dependent life, a life that's not focused on doing the works itself, but trusting in God to do the works. John 14.12, most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the, the works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these he will do, because I go to my Father. And then he adds this. So he's saying, you're going to do works, right? You work, you work, you work. And, and some people land there and like, we need to do works, people. Let's all sign up to do more works. You want to do that? Then he says, but, but look what Jesus says. Whatever you ask the Father in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. So was, was the job of the Christian really to do all the works, or was the job to recognize the works, see them, then pray and ask Jesus to do the work? Is it hard to pray? Is it hard to say, God, I can't do this, but I'm asking you to do it for me? That's not a work, technically. When we pray, when we ask the Lord, it's an attitude that Jesus says, I will do the work. I will do what you ask. All I'm asking of you is to see, open your eyes for my kingdom, and then ask me to do it on your behalf. This Wednesday, we have a uh, surrender service, okay? It's a, a night of prayer, okay? This world is not going to just change. Your life is not going to just magically change. We need to pray. I'm fully convinced of that. And we gather to pray. And the truth is, almost nobody comes. Why? Because we are not convinced. I'm Some of us work and stuff, but... We are not generally convinced as a people in our country that we need to pray. But Jesus is like begging us, saying, you could do great things and God could deeply use you if you would just ask. Just pray. And I know you all pray at home and I'm not trying to guilt trip you, trust me. But come out and pray with us. Let's, let's do it together.
So we see all these verses about God doing the work in us. So should we stress out when we don't see stuff getting done or should we simply pray? Obviously, we should just pray. (laughs) And then the last part of our text here today says, you shall make holy garments for Aaron, your brother, for glory and for beauty. Again, where is Aaron right now? He's making an absolute fool of himself. He is absolutely failing the most horrible failure of his entire life where God could easily strike him with lightning, curse him with a plague or some other thing. But God's heart of love is that he is gracious. God is preparing a gracious covering for Aaron's failure while Aaron is in the midst of failing. How about that heart? Instead of God saying, we'll see if he repents, God is busy already preparing Moses, preparing a covering, preparing garments of glory and beauty. Does Aaron deserve that? Aaron's a complete goober, as am I, as are you. We don't deserve this, but yet God's invitation is that I'm about to clothe you with glory and beauty. So good, so good. All right, our last uh, verse is 2 Corinthians 3, 5, and 6, where he says, Not that we're sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God, who made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant, that's priests of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit, for the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. As priests, we are not priests that slap up a list of Ten Commandments for people to obey, saying, you can know God if you do these things. And God would be really happy with you if you did those things. That is not the kind of priest we are to be, ever. Those commands have a purpose. We're going to learn about them next time we study uh, the, the discipleship course that we do on the fourth Sunday of every month. But it's... It's to make people feel guilty. It's to make people feel wrong. That's the design of it. He says, I have made you sufficient as a minister of the new covenant of the Spirit. So you may walk in the light, and in turn that brings light into other people's lives so that they see the goodness and kindness and love and life of God, and that is how they learn to walk with God as well. I know that in my life, uh, my mom is just walks in the light. Like, I don't know how much theology she knows, but boy, does she walk in the light. And, and maybe she would pass a test on theology or not pass. I don't care. Because as I was growing up, she was a wonderful example for me of the, the grace and love of God. And, and so, and if you guys have met my mom, you probably would agree, right? She's pretty awesome. And if not, get out. (laughs) Just messing. But seriously, get out. (laughs) So we've been made sufficient as if we humbly walk with our God. He does this in us. We become priests who walk in the light and, and bring this light to other people. And what does all this mean for us? We have a high priest whose name is Jesus. And he has saved us 
but he also supplies absolutely everything we need for life and godliness. And and our daily walk with God is maintained and kept alive by our priest. He does it for us. He supplies the oil that provides light that we walk in. He does the work that needs to be done for our messed up minds and our messed up lives and our messed up hearts. He does it. He does it. He is faithful to do the work that we could never do. Can you change yourself? No. Could you save yourself? Then it's stupid to think you could change yourself. And that's my translation of Galatians 3.3. But anyway, we can't change we can't supply our own life. Our priest does that for us. Our lovely Jesus, he qualifies us to serve alongside him, giving us families and friends and coworkers and enemies and wives, hopefully just one wife, that we get to serve. I mean, if you have multiple wives, I guess you have to serve them all, but it's illegal. He provides your enemies. He provides your boss. He provides your family. He chose that family for you, and you're like, I hate my family. And he's like, I know, but I chose you to be the minister to that family. I chose you. I chose that family for you. I chose you for that family. Why are you upset with me? Love them. Serve them. So how do we respond? Do we keep going our own way? Keep doing our own thing? Keep chasing our own dreams? My family gets in the way of my goals. I'm running my own race. I'm living my own life. I'm wasting my own time. No, all the time you waste, you're stealing from your family, from your church, from your God. The time doesn't belong to you. You've been bought with a price, right? Why are we living our own lives a lot of the time? Not even consulting God, what should I do on my Mondays? What should I do on my Tuesdays? My day off, what should I do? We know we have to go to work on the days we have to go to work. Talk about that later. Do we get our own me time when you're a Christian? The answer is no, we don't. We serve the Lord. We serve it because he serves us. And I I exhort us all, myself included, to daily question our motives and ask the hard questions. Are we living my will be done lives or are we living thy will be done lives? It's never skill that God is looking for to be used. It's never efforts. It's only ever a heart that is surrendered fully to the will of our great high priest. What if Aaron's sons just start like, burning weird fire in the you know, altar and taking girls into the tabernacle, what's going to happen? God's going to kill them, right? And that's what's going to happen. Literally, I just told you the future of their... Yeah. Pointless, fruitless lives of ministry. They didn't have the heart, right? But we can. A heart that's fully surrendered to our Aaron our high priest. And guess what Aaron's name means? Just in case you doubted whether Aaron was a picture of Jesus, guess what his name means in Hebrew? Lightbringer. Oh, 
Mic drop. (laughs) Jesus, the light of the world. Who wants to pray for this heart? Let's stand up then. Let's sing a song. We got a couple songs to sing. We got some time where we get to come to our Aaron, our light bringer, and ask his light to just flood our hearts and walk with it. Man, it's so good to be with you guys today and to and to be encouraged by his word and to, to learn about the priesthood. Man, I'm so blessed. So Father, we come before you with humility, uh, acknowledging our, our complete and total spiritual bankruptcy before the God of heaven who sees everything. Everything is naked and open before your eyes. And you see all our failures, and God, you are filled with love and compassion for us. And you have provided for us a great high priest who who comes to us on our behalf, sheds his own blood to cleanse our sin, and then draws us in with cords of love and invites us into a, a lit up temple where we where we can see you and know you and understand and be changed by you. God, who are we to deserve these things? We're nothing. But yet your love and and your grace is offered to us and your mercy today, so we will respond with hearts that are fully open, confessing all sin before you, repenting of everything because of your goodness, kindness, and faithfulness. Your grace, Jesus, has transformed us already. God, I pray for every single person in here that our hearts would never be distracted or doubly, double-minded, that we would uh, be only thinking of your will and your kingdom uh, and what you could do uh, through our lives as we offer them as living sacrifices to you. Jesus, your blood purchases us all these good things that we have uh, enjoyed today and that we're going to walk in this week. And so as we take communion, I pray we remember the price that you paid to offer us such love and such grace and, and, and garments of glory and beauty that you clothe us with, with that we do not deserve. Jesus, we, we surrender new and every day uh, in new ways. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's sing.